Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Today, we are continuing our series on the Hurt Church, and my heart in this whole series is really to, to unpack biblical representation of how People have been hurt by religion and religious leaders within the church ever since the church has begun. And I think that it's a topic that is necessary to be discussed within churches because there's so many people that have been hurt by church and never have been apologized to. They've never been even allowed to talk about that hurt. And uh, even just the other day, I'm a part of this like uh, this uh, Facebook group of, of ch- uh, church pastors and there's a pastor on there that was complaining about people complaining about being hurt by church. And he said, what do you expect from us? We're, uh, you never go to a Walmart with Walmart hurt. You go back and you just forget about it. But for the church, we have to uh, live by this, this high standard. And I was like, of course you do. <laughs> you're the church. You're not Walmart. I mean, that's like Walmart is a place where people like get into fights randomly in the store. This is, we're talking about the church. Even Walmart will send an apology email. Even if it's insincere, they're like, sorry about your bad experience. Take this other survey. You know, it, it, it'll give you a chance to win a million dollars if you take that survey. <laughs> the church has offered very little when it comes to any kind of apology, any kind of consolidation. And I really have a heart in this series for a sense of healing of people's hearts when it comes to the church. So today specifically, we're going to be talking about this concept of mind your business, mind your business. And in, in this talk today, I'm going to be talking about how really there's the aspect within our, uh, our Christian communities to where we put on excessive requirements or religious works on others when really we need to mind our business. It makes me think about the scripture where Jesus says, you worry so much about your na- the speck in your neighbor's hot eye, but you have a plank in your own eye. Get rid of the plank in your eye, then you can worry about your friend's speck. And in a sense, what he's saying is, mind your business. And in today's talk, I wanna make it abundantly clear that my, my, the connotation to what I am talking about especially within this series and especially within today's specific talk is the concept of religious works. In no way am I, am I talking or suggesting that the church uh, should live uh, wildly in sin or uh, avoid repentance. I think that the word repentance is a very simple meaning, which is to change direction. And when it comes to uh, sin within our lives, that, that spectrum looks different for every single person. When I first gave my life to Christ and I started my path of repentance, there's, there's certain things that I, was, I saw right away that I needed to turn away from, and there's other things that took me time to realize that I needed to turn away from. I was living a repented life, but my repented life looked different from someone that was a Christian for five years compared to me just getting started. Y'all dig what I'm saying? The very first moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ you, that is the first necessary step of repentance. That is turning to Jesus. Repentance means to change directions. We were in one direction. When we find Jesus, we turn to him. And so in this talk today, 
and, and nearly everything that I am projecting, I'm going to be, I'm going to be s- simply talking about the idea of religious works. And we're going to unpack exactly what that means. But I just wanted to get off the, uh, off the bat to know that I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about religious works. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So with that being said, let's start off with uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 2, uh, verses, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. And this is the story of Cornelius. He's the first Gentile convert in, in the New Testament. And he, uh, a Gentile is simply meaning non-Jewish. Anytime you see Gentile or when the Bible says that the uncircumcised, it's talking about people who are not Jewish. And so Cornelius has this incredible vision. The angel uh, tells him to send for Peter and that he has a message to give to him, yada, yada. Peter shows up. Peter, before they even sent for him, has his own vision confirming these people are going to call for you. Go with them. Uh, I am telling you to go and share the message of Jesus Christ for them. So picking up where it says Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, he was sharing the gospel message of Jesus' salvation. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter responded, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So as a quick extra credit lesson, what we see here is these believers received the Holy Spirit and were baptized with the Holy Spirit, separate from Pentecost. Pentecost was a, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a, they're receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit at a separate time and day than Pentecost. And they received it the moment that they believed. Now, what I'm projecting is this is a, a, a theological belief that I'm projecting to you, is that they, they received it the moment that they believed. There's other people in Scripture, in the book of Acts, that received it when they had hands laid on them. But we see that both received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they were able to receive it in the moment that they believed. Okay? Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so, what I, even in this simple excerpt, we see that, uh, that God, is, God is able to do things out of order. Uh, or out of the, the order that we perceive. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And it says, then they were water baptized. Traditionally, in most churches, you have to believe, then repent, then water baptize, then you get uh, prayed for the Holy Spirit. This is all out of order for them. And so it just shows how God consistently breaks out of our religious molds that we try to, to force him into. Now look what happens after this. This is where I'm really wanting to get at. It says in the next chapter, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem... The Jewish believers took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So they have a problem with what Peter did. They have a problem with what Peter did. They didn't have a problem with, with, with uh, people being brought to salvation. They didn't have a problem with, uh, with people receiving the Holy Spirit. They had a problem with this concept of their religion. See, they ignored all of the good things that happen 
and focus on, well, why did you do this? Well, and I want us to just really zero in on this idea of why are you mad? Why are you mad? The fellow Jewish believers had a problem with Peter because he had talked and ate with the Gentiles, which was against their traditional customs. It was against their traditional customs. It was against their religious customs. And while we can see how this is a pretty, uh, a pretty petty and wrong thing to take issue with, Peter is out here doing work. And they have a problem with it because they wanted him to do it this way. He's like, well, why didn't, maybe God could have spoke to you then to go talk to them. And you would have done it the right way. Well, wait, God didn't speak to you. He spoke to me. So that's why I went. See, it shows how, it, it shows a simple concept of how the religious will always criticize the spiritual. The religious will always criticize the spiritual. And the reaction that they have, it reveals several things. One is that they heard something about what had happened. They didn't get the full story. They just had heard something about it, right? Yet instead of believing the best in Peter and trusting him, trusting his integrity, trusting his walk with God, instead of that, they assumed the worst in him. See, I think that religion assumes the worst while spirituality assumes the best. And this is the kind of, uh, this is the kind of story that I feel like I hear about all the time when it comes to people being hurt by church is a type of church leader that hears a piece of information. They only hear a little piece. And what it really is, is that they heard gossip. That's what it is. They heard gossip and they heard something about something. And that something that they truly knew nothing about hearing something that they know nothing about, but then assuming that they know everything about it. I mean, there's times where this has been personal between church, uh, between church leaders going directly like, I know what you're really trying to do. I don't know how many times I would witness it. People would uh, come crying to me and Lauren about it. it. And it's just this assumption of the worst. I mean, how many times have you heard stories about a pastor up at the front and starts trying to individually call people out without saying their names, assuming the worst in them? Some of y'all stayed up late last night at the club. That's why y'all came in late today. It's like, dog, my kids were crying all night. <laughs> I, 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 you're lucky that I'm even here today. <laughs> See, there's, it really boils down to the heart of gossip. And the ironic part about it is, instead of giving the benefit of the, dark, uh, benefit of the doubt, they attack based on gossip. And the, the ironic part about it is that these leaders often think that they are behaving in a no-nonsense, holy kind of way. Oh, well, we're, we're addressing it because we're about no-nonsense. We have a holy standard. And blah blah. But what's ironic is that they're actually behaving like a high school gossip drama show. It's really what it boils down to. I mean, I don't know how many times me and myself, like, man, it feels like I'm in, in high school. And I went to three different high schools. I was even that that popular. And I feel like all this gossip and all this drama with inside the church, you know, most of the, the proper term for it is church politics. The real term for it is drama. That's all it is. And it's, it's not healthy. It's not biblical. It's not holy. It's nonsense. And it has left so many people hurt by church. 
The other thing that is revealed in this story is that they don't even ask about the people who gave their lives to Christ. They don't even ask about the supernatural experience that they got from the Holy Ghost. Why wouldn't they even ask about the spiritual stuff? Because at the end of the day, religion doesn't care about what's really spiritual. And it, they didn't care about their souls. They didn't, care about, uh, they didn't care about their souls. They didn't care about salvation. They didn't care about deliverance. They didn't care about freedom. All they cared about was how it looked to other religious people. Man, some of y'all are like getting mad. Right now. <laughs> some of y'all are like going back to your childhood. You're going back to, the, to another church you just went to. And you're like, you know, I'm actually kind of mad now. See, they only cared about how it looked to other religious people. And it reminds me of the church's pursuit of the perfect show for Sunday. The perfect show. And... Do you know that there's scripture, I believe it's in Isaiah, where God literally says, I'm sick of your shows. I'm sick of your religious show. And the religious show that we give for Sunday, that has to be perfect. The show must go on. And if you've ever been involved deep with churches, what I've learned when it comes to making that excellent show on Sunday even if it costs people's souls, the show must go on. Even if people have to get hurt along the way, the show must go on. Well, we can't be stopping for every person that's offended. Really? Jesus literally said, pay taxes lest we offend them. <laughs> if I gotta pay taxes, <laughs> then surely I should care about my neighbor. It says, lest we offend them. But this kind of religious show can be incredibly brutal as it lathers on that high polished gloss that high polished gloss while stepping on people and using and abusing them to fulfill image and reputation it's really what it is image and reputation and if you look at any uh, church cult documentary where it's like that they just came out with like a hillsong church documentary of how evil and corrupted it is i was like dang that looks crazy but when you look at it, and I, and I just saw the trailer and just seeing like the different interviews of people and all it sounds like, uh, like knowing and being involved with, with ministry for the last 10 years, all it sounds like is people that really gave all of their heart but were used and abused along the way. That the show was more important than them. And, and probably a lot of other stuff too, but that was, a, <laughs> that was an underlying thread that I saw. And Really, all in all, a main takeaway from this passage is that the religious are only satisfied by how they look and appear to others, not by true spiritualism. And, and again, what is true spiritualism? It's the simple stuff, mercy, generosity, prayer, worship, a humble heart. Humility is much more spiritual than, than an egotistical praise that we often search for in churches. A humble heart rather than wearing our Sunday suit. And these men criticizing Peter didn't do anything nearly as significant as Peter did. They didn't do anything nearly significant like Peter did. And yet they had all of their opinions about how it ought to have been done. 
The religious will always criticize the spiritual. And I want to take a step back. And and I want to make a... Look, I'm not just saying this because I'm a church planter. But I want to project this even as our Christianity. I get very frustrated with the, the churchy mold of American culture. I really do. I just don't like it. I feel like it's unhealthy. I feel like it's uh, just nasty sometimes. And I, I, maybe I'm just naturally rebellious. I don't know. But even with all that being said, I think that we are so quick to accuse our, our fellow brethren. We're so quick to accuse other churches because deep down, there's a little religion in all of us. And we are so quick to declare churches as being false churches, false teachers, false prophets. Hey, don't get me wrong. There's something out there when I see that, it makes me cringe. But I want us to just take a step back and, and let's look at, let's, let's just take a glimpse at Joel Olstein. I don't really like him. <laughs> I, I don't like him that much. If you do, that's great. I'm not saying he's a false teacher. Um, but he's highly criticized because of the format of his teaching the amount of scripture he doesn't use. And at the end of the day, it's like, that's not how I want to do it. That's not how I would do it. But at the end of the day, has his message brought people to Christ? What, maybe not every message, I don't know. But in his lifetime, has his ministry brought people to Christ? And yet at the end of the day, it, it, it has. And, God's, and Paul says in scripture that whether they have bad intentions or good intention, it doesn't matter as long as they bring people to, as long as the gospel is being preached. And I think that's something to resonate with, that we try to guard ourselves from being that religious spirit accusing other believers at the drop of a hat and saying, well, it's, they're, they're doing it in a bad way. It's like, hey, if someone is brought to Christ, like, like that soul is meaningful. It's not our job to doubt every salvation. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And again, I, I would be one to be highly skeptical of Joel Osteen. But at the end of the day, I'm glad that there's people being ministered to in ways that I probably would not be able to minister to. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Let's remember that who is called the accuser in Scripture? The devil himself. He's, in Revelations, he's literally described, his name is the accuser. And so when we find ourselves on this accusing rant, let's remind ourselves, like, you know what? Let me believe the best in someone. Let me, let me take this religion in me out and look at through the eyes of the cross because Jesus died for that person too. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So let's go into our next point by, going, by sharing this scripture. So we see this, this moment where Peter is like, back up. Why are you mad? Mind your business. Let's, let's jump to Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. It says, uh, it says, but not even Titus. Now we're jumping to Paul. He's talking here. It says, not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, meaning he was not Jewish, was compelled to be circumcised. Yet it was a concern because of the false brothers secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. He's saying that not even Titus, though being a Greek, was compelled at all to be circumcised um, 
uh, once he was brought to the faith in Jesus Christ. It was only when these, uh, these false believers, is what Paul describes them as, came in and started perpetuating the idea that they needed to, to adhere to this religious practice that he felt confused about his faith. It goes on to say, But we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of considerable repute, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. So he's saying, even though they were reputable to, to among others, I don't care. God doesn't show favorites. Well, those who were of repute contributed nothing to me. So they didn't do me any favors. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been uh, entrusted to the circumcised, the Jews, for he who was at work for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised was at work for me also to the Gentiles. It's what I was just saying. The same Holy Spirit that was working through Peter, he's saying he works through me too. He reaches people and I reach different people. But we wrote, both are reaching people. That's what Paul is saying. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What he's saying is that the three the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, gave us the authority and the partnership to go and, and preach the good news to the people who aren't Jewish. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is uh, similarly to Peter, the, the, that's his name. I opposed him to his face. Well, why would Paul get in Peter's face like that? Because he stood condemned for prior to coming uh, to the coming of some men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those from the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in a hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So let me unpack this, this very interesting conflict. They have some non-Jewish believers there, and Peter is just like cutting it up, acting like one of the boys. And then all of a sudden, some Jews come in who, who believe in the circumcision, that you need to be circumcised in order to be, uh, in order to be saved. And Peter's like, oh, shoot, hold up. Like, hey, guys. And he's just acting like everything's cool with them. And he's like, yeah, I wasn't sitting with those guys. No, I'm not a loser like them. And he's, he separated himself and acted as if he did not associate with the Gentiles for the show of the religious people. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so Paul gets pissed. He's mad. And he, he confronts Peter in front of everyone and says, how come you expect us to believe you how, how to follow you like this? Because all of his friends are confused because he's a leader in the church. He's one of the pillars. And they're like, well, I guess if Peter's doing it, I mean, maybe he, we, we're just confused and that's how we ought to behave too. So now there's all this confusion and Paul's just getting burnt up inside. He's like, this isn't right. This is all just a show. It's not true. There's no integrity in this situation. And he's mad also at the thought of how this whole situation is a tripping hazard for the other believers. It's a tripping hazard for these other believers. 
So he gets in Peter's face and he's saying, you expect them to behave like you, but when all this, these other people around you, you behave just like them. So which is it? And he's just calling him out for the hypocrisy. And this excerpt, it shows a clear picture of what religion can do. Paul's, Paul's distraught about how his fellow believers are now confused about their faith. Think about all the moments that you felt confused after hearing a certain kind of message of if you were even saved. And you're like, well, do I need to practice Passover? Have I been living in sin by eating pork? And you're getting confused about whether or not you need to follow these other religious commandments in order to truly be saved. See, that's the kind of confusion these believers are feeling. And it is burning Paul up. Because he knows the truth that if you believe in Jesus, that it's faith in him alone that brings us to salvation. The very faith in Jesus is the step of repentance. And he knows that it's only by the blood of Jesus that we can be saved. Keep in mind, Paul was once a Pharisee. He was one of the strictest followers of the religious sect of Pharisees. He was, he was to the point where he wanted so adamantly for people to follow the religious show that he went around killing Christians who believed that they could be saved just by grace. He was burnt up before for religion. Now he's burnt up by this injustice. And it makes me think, like, I bet Peter was scared out of the words. Like, man, is he about to go back to his old self? That's an old Paul. That's Saul right there. Getting in my face like that. And see, we, we, must, we must remember that this is a picture of how divisive this religious show can be just in acts chapter 3 in acts chapter 3 when the first the church was first forming we see that the believers were so united in heart and spirit that they didn't even own anything themselves they were sharing everything that they had with each other they were selling their property so that just they were selling their stuff in order for other people to not lack they were so united in the body and now in galatians Two, we see them confused and divided and segregated. How quickly religion came in. How quickly these requirements separated them. And though, uh, and now that they have this, now they have this segregation. Believers, those who felt superior by their religious practices, and those who were treated less than because they didn't follow those religious practices. See, religion consistently isolates in it as it pushes for individual superiority. Look at, look at any religion. Even outside of our faith, religion, the heart of religion, isolates and pushes superiority. It's like, well, what about like Buddhism? Like, they're all cool. Look at India, where the, the prominent religion is Hinduism and Buddhism. Buddhism is, is just a derivative of Hinduism. They have one of the harshest caste systems in their society where people are treated less than property. If a certain, there's situations where a, if someone of a low class accidentally even touches someone of a high class, that they will take them out and kill them. That's how brutal their class system is. And it's derived from their religion. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so... If we understand that religion consistently isolates as it pushes for individual superiority, we have to understand how dangerous this is for the church. We even see Peter in this moment, just in Acts chapter 10, he's like, get off my case. They're, they're saved too. 
And just in this short amount of time, we see Peter temporarily given, give in to this religious show. And while we might feel shocked to see it, it instead of us looking at Peter like, how could you, Peter? You betrayed my trust. I thought I, I was like you, Peter, but now I see I'm like Paul. Imagine what it was like for Peter to live under the constant burden of these people around him, constantly pushing for religion. See, being constantly around it. That's why some people can go to a church that has a high religious show, and after just a couple months of being there, they'll be like a completely different person. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And people are like, man, are you part of a cult or something? Like, you just don't get it. I, I see things at a higher level now. It's like, dude, that's a cult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what it really is, is that religion. And for Peter, that constant burden around him of pushing for religion, just how we read, how aggressively they confronted him after he brought a whole house of people to salvation in a miraculous way. And he was confronted so aggressively by religion. So if that was a good day and they came at him, imagine a normal day. Imagine a bad day. That constant burden. And it, it, it shows, it shows and reminds us of the, it should remind us of what Jesus said when describing the religious show of the, the hypocritical Pharisees and their teachings. What did he say? He said, a little yeast permeates through the whole batch of dough. Just a, that little bit of religious show will taint your entire faith. That little bit of hypocrisy will taint your in, in, entire walk with God. And this is why we must always know why we believe what we believe. So many people practice that religious show without even knowing why. I remember uh, having people, in our, uh, people I knew that practiced Messianic Judaism, meaning that they would practice the, the, the ceremonial laws of Jewish customs. It's like, if you want to do that, great, go ahead. Go crazy. But I felt really confused one day because they were going to go get a tattoo, but they were adamant about not eating pork. What? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. And we, we must understand, and when I asked them, well, why do you do this and not that? They didn't even know how to explain themselves. It's like, well, how? and I said, well, why do you eat pork then? Well, because it's unclean. I was like, isn't a tattoo an abominable? <laughs> Isn't that like an abominable snowman or something? Like, well, no, it's, it's okay because it's like you don't even know what you're saying. They, we must know why we believe what we believe. And I want, I, with all that being said, if, if or when you, de you feel like God is calling you to a higher conviction, you want to develop a certain practice, like there's some Christians that they feel like God's called them to, to a, a lifestyle of a Daniel fast <laughs> where they become vegans, vegans and they, they really are doing it as this like this spiritual practice in their life of discipline to God. See, if you have any kind of idea or conviction that you feel like God is calling you to, like maybe God is really putting on your heart uh, that, that God is saying you should not get any tattoos or you should stop eating pork for whatever reason. It's, and it's not even for the religious show, but it's like a higher, this like discipline that you feel like God is calling you to. If you feel that in your life, it, that, you, that you have this like little practice or standard that God is calling you to, you must recognize that that is for your own life. That's between you and God and that you 
cannot turn that into a religion for other people. You need to mind your business. And, and on top of that, you need to mind your business and let people have their freedom in Christ. But you must also remind yourself that in no way does it make you superior. If you feel like it brings you closer to God, great, hell yeah, do it. But in no way does it make you superior than a, a fellow believer. Y'all feel what I'm saying? For me and my wife, we have a conviction where we don't drink. It, it has a lot to do with our past. I have an addictive personality. Alcoholism and drug addiction runs in my family. It, all that contributes to, to why I don't drink. But the main reason is it's just like, there's for me personally, me personally, not for everyone else, God one day showed me how I could trust him with my peace. And that's really, it's like, I, I want to trust in you for my peace. And there's some days, there's some, <laughs> there's some days where I'm like, God, I don't know if you can do this. <laughs> my kids are really taking away my peace. These children that you gave me, God, <laughs> a little Adam and Eve reference. But be that as it may, that's my conviction. Wrong on me if I try to push that conviction on other people. That's between me and God. That's not between me and anybody else. That's between me and God. And does that make me more spiritual? Am I holier than thou? Hell no. It, I, am, I am just focusing on my walk with Christ while you focus on yours, and we, can focus on, and we can walk with Christ together. The other thing that I want us to pull from this passage is that we see Paul describing those who are advocating for religious requirements unto our faith as false brothers. That's how adamant he is about this. He declares them false brothers. And he felt so strongly that we are saved by faith in Christ Jesus alone that he declared anything extra as heresy. Anything extra as heresy. I, I once I had some people come to my door that were trying to convert me to a different Christianity. I was like, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. They're like, no, you're not. It's <laughs> like, no, I'm a pastor. Like, false teacher. Anyway, so... They're, they're trying to convert me to their belief system to where, and, and it's like they're, they're claiming to be Christians. They're like, I'm a Christian. It's they just didn't believe me. And part of, their, part of their doctrine was that you have to be water baptized in order to be saved. Hey, I love baptizing people. I'm all for water baptism. But it, I do not see it as a requirement for salvation. I see it as something very, uh, a very meaningful sacrament to our faith. But I truly 100% believe that one is saved by grace in the faith of Jesus Christ alone. And, and they told me, there's not anybody in the New Testament that was saved without being water baptized immediately after. And I said, what about the thief on the cross? Well, that was different. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus was right there and he was, he was alive, so he had the authority to to give permission to that. I was like, exactly. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead and has the authority to grant anyone salvation based off of faith alone. And they got, they got really fussy with me. <laughs> I was also fasting at the time, so it was like the wrong day to knock on my door. <laughs> I was all spiritual, reading the New Testament in 30 days. I was like, but what, what, I, what I compared it to as they were beckoning this idea is like, no, you have to be water baptized in order to be saved. I said, Let's just put a hypothetical out. Let's say I'm, I just believe you 100%. Like, let's do it. Where, let me get water baptized right now, just like the, uh, the eunuch that Philip was witnessing to. And, and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was like, say I want to do that. 
And I said, let's go get baptized right now. And as we're crossing the street to go to some apartment, pull the water, baptize me. And I get hit by a car under your doctrine, I would be going straight to hell because I didn't get water baptized first. Even though I was fully believing, repentant, ready to change my life, I would not have been saved because of my works. But what I am projecting is that is there's nothing that I could ever possibly do that could earn my salvation is only through a full surrender in Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is so adamant about in this verse. And it's so important to understand that in this passage, they were advocating circumcision as a requirement to salvation. So, ladies, we can, y'all can just tune out the rest of this time. <laughs> Just joking. They're advocating that circumcision was a, a requirement to salvation. This is because circumcision was one of the highest regarded laws under the Jewish custom of religion. In fact, it had even greater importance than the Levitical laws in Deuteronomy because it was a part of the Abrahamic com- covenant that predated all of the laws listed in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so circumcision is more important than, the cere- than any other ceremonial laws like tattoos or don't eat pork or observe the Passover. Circumcision is held uh, under greater repute. Y'all feel me? And so if Paul is saying that the most highly valued religious act of circumcision is not required for salvation, then none of the other less valued religious acts are required for salvation either. And you can still practice these things, sure. But you must remember that deep within yourself, it does not save you. It does not make you more superior. It does not make you better. That we are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Now, let's go into our last point, which is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through 21. Paul goes on to say, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from the Gentiles. He's being sarcastic as he's talking about Peter. Nevertheless, knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. Paul is just saying over and over, you cannot earn it. No amount of religious show can give it to you. It is only by faith in Christ. And any time that Paul is talking about works, whenever you say, see works in Scripture, it's literally talking about religious works. It's not talking about like, uh, the, like fruits of the Spirit, like patience, joy, uh, like long-suffering, goodness. It's not talking about like being a good Christian and earning a good refute. James, the book of James says, our faith without works is dead. So our lifestyle should reflect Christianity with the simple act of repentance, like walking towards Christ. We should look more and more like Christ. It's, every time Paul is talking about works, he is talking about the actual religious show, the religious works that they believe would save them. So, But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners in Christ, then a servant of sin, far from it. For if I rebuild what I w- have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a wrongdoer. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. This is some powerful verses we're reading. He's talking about how 
he's in, in this verse, he's saying, I'm not going to continue in sin either. I'm going to do my best and forget the rest. Okay. But he's also saying, I am dead to the law. He's saying, I, I'm no longer alive to the law so that I'm dead to the law so that I may live for God. He's literally saying you get so fo- we get so focused on trying to prove religion, trying to follow religious requirements, while we really lose sight of the main thing, which is God himself. It, and finally it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Saying if there is any type of effort or work that could earn any type of recognition or salvation, then Christ died for nothing. This is such a powerful verse. And this, as an extra credit lesson, this shows how important it is to take Scripture in full context. I was once projected the idea, just the verse Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I was perpetuated the idea, the very opposite of what Paul is saying, that I have to die daily to my flesh and earn my salvation by working really, really hard in all of these rigorous requirements and works. And when I look at the full context of the scripture, it doesn't say that at all. It says the very opposite. This last thing I want to say to us is, di- is the idea of dying to religion. Dying to religion. And in this dialogue from Paul, he goes deep into affirming over and over that our works of the flesh and our works of religion will never justify us before God. And we are only justified by the work done on the cross through Jesus Christ. And if we put anything else paired to faith in Jesus, if we try to put anything else as a stipulation to salvation, even if it was water baptism, if we try to pair anything else to it, we inadvertently attempt to rebuild a broken system that is unable to achieve salvation. So if we understand Paul's passion in being saved by God's grace alone, why do we continue to add religious requirements? Why do we consistently turn to religion? In fact, why does the world consistently perpetuate religion? I mean, have you ever thought about that for a moment? Even, even when... The Europeans came to North America and found uh, all, of these, uh, all of these Native Americans that had a belief system in their own spirituality. So uh, being cut off from the rest of the world and they still had this, their own religion. How is it that everywhere in the world there's a concept of religion? And even atheism it has the same heart in creating this belief system in which you're in control. What I believe is that it's part of our sinful nature to create religion. I believe it's part of our sinful nature. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where we see the very first human beings, with the moment that they desire to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what was it that enticed them so much? You can be like God. And when we create religion, when we put stipulations of religion even into our faith, we, we make ourselves to be like God in creating and, and trying to take authority that only He has. He's the only one that has the authority. And when we create religion, we, we make our own way, we, make our own, we take control, and, 
we try to make ourselves to be like God. And when we attempt to add these kinds of requirements, we attempt to take glory away from Jesus. And I think that's the simplest way to tell if something is a, her- a heretical teaching, if something is a false teaching, if something is even antichrist. Anything that takes any ounce of glory, of honor away from Jesus, I see it as blasphemy. I see it as a, as a, as a little yeast that permeates a whole batch of dough. Any type of glory, and that's what religion does. Any requirement of religion is an attempt to usurp Christ's unilateral salvation. Are, are we called to live repented lifestyles? Yes. And it's done in the very first moment you believe in Christ. See, it's even that. The thief on the cross was saved the moment he believed. That was his, that was his moment of repentance. He called on Jesus' name. Any, uh, any other requirement of religion is an attempt to usurp Christ's unilateral salvation. And it, I want us to understand that it takes a humble heart It takes a humble heart to accept that there's absolutely nothing that you can do to earn your way to heaven. To know that you have nothing in your willpower, within your energy, within your effort that could change eternal destination. And that is why Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why he says that. It's a complete surrender. It's a complete surrender and saying, I'm dead to religion and trying to do things my way. I surrender to God's way in Jesus. It's a complete surrender. With that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to pray for a couple things. And the very first thing I want to pray for is if you're here, if you're here in You have it within your heart to have a full surrender moment in Jesus Christ. To have a full surrender moment in Jesus Christ. And you want to put your trust in him today as your savior. That's the very first step of changing directions. If that's you and you want to do that today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. The Bible says... In the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. It's, saying, it's simply saying if you have an authentic heart that acknowledges God and who he is, that's all it takes. Have a simple conversation with him. That's all it takes to, to start your journey with him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. There's nothing else besides starting right there, having that own conversation with him. Talk to him. And tell them where you want to go from here in your walk with him. Now, as they're doing that, if you're here and you just have this recognition of the entirety of Jesus' salvation, the simplicity of it, and you have realized yourself that you've picked up, you've uh, inadvertently picked up religious works and you want to lay those down. And just come to, come to a surrender heart saying, I want to just trust in you, Jesus. I don't want to put these requirements on anybody else. I want to grow in my faith and live for you. And, and stop trying to live for religion. If you just have that kind of change of heart today, with every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. So I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I pray that you help each person here have their moment with you that's clear that is simple, 
and that you draw all of us unto you, that you'd be glorified in our lives and our simple faith. And I pray that you help us to, to truly know you and experience you and to show you to those around us. I pray that your Holy Spirit bless every person here and cause uh, their souls to be edified today. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.